BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Chris Hahn, the aggressive progressive. Look, I'm taking a week off, but I did a great podcast with my friends over at the Diversity Remix about two weeks ago, and I want to play that for you now. Take a listen. Hope you enjoy and see you next week. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week on the Diversity Remix, we welcome political pundit, nationally syndicated radio personality, and host of the Aggressive Progressive podcast, Chris Hahn. I think it's courage. I think it takes a lot to, to try to diversify a police force, and I think more police forces across this country should be doing everything they can to have the population of the officers that are serving the community reflect the community they serve more uh, adequately. Chris breaks down his role as a liberal inside the halls of Fox News and his rollercoaster relationship with Tucker Carlson, his views on Russia, oil prices, Ron DeSantis, and a ton more. And then on Courage or Cringe, we get Chris's perspective on the firing of Fort Lauderdale's police chief for minority-first hiring practices. Pixar's open letter to Disney for gay censorship and the Kremlin's criminal case against Facebook for hate speech. All this and more this week on TDR. Chris Hahn, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry it took so long to set this up. No, no problem at all. Uh, it's really great to have the host of the Aggressive Progressive on the podcast. For the purposes of this show, I think I'm going to have to be the innovative conservative. <laughs> oh, wow. I like that. We're all going to get all titles. Yeah. I'm going to start a new show. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours, Chris, because I remember, and like where I kind of became familiar with you was all of the appearances that you would make on the segments on Tucker. Yeah. Not anymore. You, you, <laughs> not anymore. Well, I wanted to ask no. you about that because I remember, like, just you would equate yourself very well in those uh, in those segments, and you guys had a great kind of back and forth. And that's one of the things that I've always liked. I mean, historically liked about Tucker. He's kind of gone away from it recently. Was this kind I, of I invitation a, of? Yeah, totally different person. Yeah, I think he's a different person. I mean, I've known the guy for for fifteen years, and I always liked him. Uh, I didn't agree with them on a lot of things, but I've always got along with them and uh, would have great back and forth with him. I would do his show. Uh, we used to do panels together before he had his own show. And then when he got the show, he started using me regularly once, sometimes twice a week, big segments, Yeah, uh, usually right yep. at the top of the show. And, um, you know, I, I don't sit there and, and agree. I'm not one of those people who go on Fox to just try to get people to love me. I know they're not going to love me at Fox, I try to win my arguments. And uh, I've won a few, I guess I won one too many arguments with Tucker and he doesn't want to have me back. And then, you know, uh, during COVID about a year ago, I was on a segment on Fox with uh, another pundit. And, uh, you know, he would, they opened up the segment playing a clip of him spouting a conspiracy theory about, uh, about COVID vaccine passports. And I called him a conspiracy theorist. Now I, I hadn't been on his show in about, eight months before that, but I haven't been invited back since. I don't think I ever will be, frankly. I, <laughs> hmm. I, and I don't that really care. I mean, the guy is basically, yeah. the, the guy to, to me has been one of the worst supporters of Vladimir Putin over the last couple of weeks to the point where other conservatives, I mean, I saw George Will calling him out on it yesterday on another yeah, I show that, too. that I that I was on right after George Will. And, you know, I, 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 I truly believe that Tucker's lost it. And I think it... it has to do with the fact that he may have lost a show at one point in his career, you know, when he when he lost that crossfire show. He said to himself, I'm I'm gonna do everything I can to keep my audience. 
And here he is. I, I don't know how he, he's calculating being a supporter of Vladimir Putin as he's committing a horrible, unprovoked war and threatening nuclear annihilation of the world. I don't know how that you know helps you hold an audience, but I don't think Tucker in this current incarnation is long for this world, frankly. I, I don't think Fox is going to put up with this much longer. Well, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, his star has kind of risen even more, right, in terms of ratings and his primetime slot and all that. I actually, I mean, I, and I agree, I would agree with you, and not as a person there's who only, But hold on, there's, o- there's, only, yeah, there's yeah. only so many, my, there's only so many my pillow spots you could run during a, you know, during a broadcast and make money, <laughs> right. especially right. when it's right. like, yeah. you know, these are like pay for, you know, th- these are not even real spots. I mean, they're direct response spots that don't even pay DR stuff. Yeah. So I, I yeah. don't, and the guy the, makes $20 million a year. I don't think, I, you know, remember <clears> at <throat> the end of the day, it's a business and his support, sure, his, right. his, his, his advertisers are running for the hills. I used to do Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly was, wasn't nearly as crazy as this guy. I mean, granted he was doing some crazy things behind the scenes that, that we've all heard of. Sure. But Bill O'Reilly would have, you know, big name brand sponsors and it was basically, the the financial engine of Fox News, Bill, the Bill O'Reilly show and the morning show, frankly, were the two ways they paid their bills there. And I, you know that's the time slot Tucker's in right now. And if the if the sponsors are running for the hills, I don't know how much longer he's going to be there. Yeah, true. I mean, obviously, it's not just a ratings thing; it's a it's a revenue thing. But the the point that I was going to make though is, and I'm sure that you did win, and even some of the ones that I used to watch back in you know a few years ago, you won those segments from an argumentation standpoint. But my point is that I actually think that the format has also changed because yeah. one thing you could say about Tucker is that Crossfire, early Tucker, like it was always about having somebody on the show that didn't have his point of view and having that discussion. That part's changed. Yeah. It really hasn't been that. Right. Yeah. So it, I think it's bigger than that. It's basically and, and Chris, a, a bunch of people agreeing with each other. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and on this one, Chris, why do you think, like the part I didn't have understand, understood about the recent, his recent position is the, why the pro-Russia stance? Is it really just an anti-Biden stance? Whatever Biden administration wants to do is like, we just got to pick the opposite because that will get people like fired up about what he's doing. Because like, that seems like a really, really odd position. Yeah. And it's super awkward because then like a week later, like, no, 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 I wasn't really supporting Russia. You yeah. know, I didn't really say that. And then that. he comes and back. He, literally, you see pivoted, all the clips. Yeah. He's pivoted back to Russia. I mean, it's. I don't get it. Yeah. I think it was really – look, there was a miscalculation on the part of, of many conservative Republicans early in this crisis that let's egg on Putin because it'll be bad for Biden. It actually turned out mm-hmm. that it's been the opposite. It's actually been good for Biden. His numbers have have recovered and stabilized somewhat since this crisis has begun. There's been a sure, certain yeah. rally around the president. You're not going to ever get the rally around the president you got with, let's say, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush when he was at 90% at the beginning of the first Gulf War. That'll never happen in America mm-hmm. again. But to the point where you know Biden was like in the low 30s and now he's in the mid 40s in most public approval, right. approval polls. You know, And he's getting high marks in the 60s when it comes to his handling of Ukraine. Uh, it was a miscalculation not only on Tucker's part, but on the part of a lot of Republicans in Congress who then quickly changed their tone, their tune on this. But it, it is scary to me to think that they ever thought that that was a good idea. And, you know, where does this leave us as a country is what I always want to, I always ask. Like, where, does, where do we go from here? You know, this is, people think that it's so important to take down your opponent, your political opponent, that you will right, so, for so, sure. right. side with a tyrant like, like Vladimir Putin. Um, that's ridiculous to me. You know, Chris, and one thing that we talked about here a few weeks ago is um, obviously before the conflict even started – was the strategy that the Biden administration seemed to have taken, which was it felt like very transparent and communicating, like over communication of what they were seeing yes. that was not necessarily aligning with what at least the Russian administration was saying that, oh, we're actually pulling some troops back. Like, no, 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 don't believe none of the hype. They're actually going to invade. And at least then, and I still think now, I think that, I think that strategy paid off because it was always very clear, like, hey, we're not going to be there in person. We're not going to send our troops, but... Does not be does not mistake the intent of what Russia is trying to do here, and it becomes a little more of a rallying cry for the rest of the nations, because we've had a somewhat pretty consistent at least position on on the on at least what our view is that Russia is trying to do in that in that country. Yeah, look, I think it was a great call for for President Biden to use the intelligence actively, proactively, to point out what Putin's doing. They're doing it right now, right? We're talking about uh, how Putin mm-hmm. has been saying. Uh, he's been out there talking about chemical weapons and we're saying, no, 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 no. This is a false flag argument that Putin's raising. And we've been very clear and very aggressive in pointing out what the man's been doing as a nation. 
and I've never seen this done before. I've never seen military intelligence used this way. I worked uh, in the U.S. Senate mm-hmm. uh, on 9-11. I was working for Chuck Schumer. Uh, I worked from 2000 right. to 2000, uh, late 2005. So uh, I remember you know, you know, going through the second Gulf War and, and all the conversations and intelligence was never used like that. In fact, the intelligence was wrong, mm. obviously, in the lead up to the, uh, to the, to the second Gulf War, maybe right. even made up. Uh, so uh, it was very, very wise and very shrewd. And I think that is the benefit of having a guy like Joe Biden in the White House who's been around and seen it all. That, you know, he can make those decisions pretty clearly, clear-headedly to, to use that information to ward off some misinformation from the other side. Do you think, Chris, that this recent, what's happening now is enough to put Biden in a position to actually even consider, like, like wanted to go and get reelected? Because it felt definitely a few months ago that everything was just so down on him that I think the conversation had shifted pretty quickly. Everyone's saying, well, yeah, well, who, even who's going to be, that door about, yeah, like, who's maybe gonna be the next it. one, A, yeah. because of age and, and public yeah. opinion, et cetera. But do, do, you, do you think that changes now because of this or it's enough well, there? Well, let me state, I have never thought he was going to run for re-election from the first time okay. he got elected. But for sake of argument, let's say he does. Um, history is on his side. Even if he has a shellacking in the midterms, which I expect he will. I think he's going to lose the House. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He may hold on to the Senate. I think the Supreme Court is going to help him hold on to the Senate because they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. As long as the Democrats know how to message around that, and, and there's a big if there, um, you know, they will mm. take advantage of that and they will hold on to seats that might be in danger and they might pick up a seat or two because of the Supreme Court's actions, which have been the plan of the conservative movement in this country for the past 40 years. So you're going to have that opportunity to hold the Senate. They're going to lose the House. But history is on Biden's side. This happens, right? You expect yeah. you expect this person to come in and change everything. He doesn't. You, you vote some people out. Now, instead of just blaming Biden, Biden can blame Congress. And that is an incredible right, right, tool right. politically. So the Republicans will be in power in the House of Representatives and they will be and they will not be, you know, your John Boehner Republicans. I, and I, for one, don't even think Kevin McCarthy will be the, the speaker. I think they're going to like yeah, it'll be I. a Jim Jordan or a Jim Jordan type. And and those people are going to be in power now. And, and, and I, you know, I, reasonable conservatives will be disgusted by what they see in Washington. You're going to you're going to be empowering the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boeberts right. of the world. And, you know, the, the the reasonable conservatives are heading for the hills. I mean, they're primarying Liz Cheney. Adam Kinzinger's not running again. They, you know, they basically demonize Mitt Romney uh on on TV and Lisa Murkowski, people who are they don't share every opinion with mine, but I know that I can work with those people and make deals and try to get things done. So I, uh, you know, that that's going to be a powerful tool for Biden or whoever the Democrats nominate in, in 2024. Sure. I, I want to go back to something you said a moment ago, though, about uh, when you're talking about G.W. Bush's poll numbers, uh, you know, in the 90s and saying that that'll never happen again. Two questions for you on that. Number one mm-hmm. is... Is that if if we believe that, then we believe that this kind of you know fractiousness and division and polarity is going to continue for the foreseeable future. So I'd love your thoughts on: Is there an antidote on any level to that pol- mm. that polarization? Number one, and number two is, you know, just to push back a little bit, wasn't getting somebody more kind of normal, more establishment, more reliable like a Biden supposed to be the thing that might create that kind of consensus once again? <laughs> If Joe Biden's not going to create that consensus, nobody's going to create that consensus. Uh, we all remember the video Lindsey Graham put out a couple of years ago about how if you don't like Joe Biden, there's something wrong with you. I, I don't know if you remember that video. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, it was before he ran for president. So, you know, he, he, his son was sick and his son was dying, actually. Sure. And he, he gave sure. a very touching uh, thing. I, I have actually seen Joe Biden, you know, my entire career I've been around Joe Biden. And he's one of the most likable, down to earth, middle of the road, progressives, but middle of the road kind of kind of people. And it's hard not to like him. And if Joe Biden's not going to bring us to that point, the only thing I see doing that is maybe if aliens invade and 
Um, you know, we, we, we're back we have 90%. to all unite. Well, yeah. You know, we have a, we, yeah. we have a, a situation That's like a that. Now, point. of course, Tucker will still be yeah. on the side of the, why do I care about the, the aliens? Did they call me a racist? Did they try to get they me fired? Me, I love that. They I mean, call me a racist. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, that's that, there will be that. Uh, in this immediate environment because that gets clicks and likes and people watching you and all these other things. And even though I have a fortune from pot pies my grandfather made and sold, uh, I'm still, I still need that public approval. That's Tucker Carlson, not me. My grandfather didn't sell pot pies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like that. An an extraterrestrial threat is something that can really unify you because it's literally beyond nations, beyond boundaries. I think I'm a little older than you guys. I was uh, in 1991 during the first Gulf War. I was a student in college and I was a political science major and I was just really becoming a Democrat. I, you know, I just became a Democrat mm-hmm. at that point. And um, I just remember looking at those polls and there was a book that came out uh, at that time called The Emerging Democratic Majority. I don't know if you guys ever read it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it was a very no. popular political book. Um, and it was the same guy who wrote the Nixon revolution or the, the silent majority, something like that. It was very poignant and it pointed to the Democrats taking over everything in the, in the, in the coming decade, which turned out to be true. But when I read that book, I remember thinking to myself, you know, the Gulf war is happening. This guy has got a 90% approval rating, 90% of Americans were behind George Herbert Walker Bush. And then he lost three years later. So right. it's, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy way to think about it. It really changed the way I think about politics. So I don't really mm. care where Joe Biden is today in the polls. Tell me where yeah. he is going to be, you know, in two years. Tell you, know, I don't care what the price of gas is today. Tell me what the price of gas is going to be, you know, in, right. in, in, in September of 2024. And then I'll tell you who's going to be president. And yeah, gas, you know, look, oil prices are dropping. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You actually just talked about it because I, I was I was on a run this morning. I listened to your to your episode uh, when you talked about the global markets for oil prices. How much is still so like poorly understood by most people, right? Where they they put this direct blame on simply just the president that is here. Where we're talking about speculative pricing that is happening at a global level, right? And to your yeah. point, I, I I thought it was really interesting when you talked about the, the whole idea that there actually isn't a uh, a shortage of supply here. As a matter of fact, when you look at the man over the last, I forgot what the time frame you mentioned, but it's been actually going down, which that, you know, rationally makes sense. You know, as you see more electric cars, et cetera, more efficient cars in general, hybrids, um, all of that. It, it, yeah. That was a really interesting uh, take that you had. Well, somebody pointed out to me, I'm, I'm half right. Demand has gone down in the United States. It's going up in like China and India where their their economies are growing and they haven't yet advanced into this electric field. Although even in places like China, they figured it out and they're trying to wean their economy off of oil directly. And they're doing a better job at it, quite frankly. They're going to do a better job of it. They're not there yet, but they're going to do a better job at it than we are. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there is no... There is no de- supply shortage. We're not sitting on this. Isn't 1977, and you know we can only get gas on alternate days in the United States. And there's a line, and there's an embargo. There's plenty of supply. The problem right now is the market. And the market spooked, and you're you're seeing this week people are sure. actually getting out of the oil market, and the price is going down because it clearly was way overvalued mm-hmm. and it was it, it was not a sustainable climb and 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 anybody who's ever watched the oil markets over the years and i have uh you know know that that it, it's it you know these prices sometimes are, are out of control for reasons that have nothing to do with with true market forces uh right. you know people and even like if you look at the gas stations in your in your neighborhood you know they're always packed right now because people are like, "Oh my God, the gas price is going up tomorrow. I better right. get it today, right?" And sure. that's been a boom for these oil and gas companies. And let's let's also face it, guys. A year and a half ago, those companies took massive losses. Oil was yeah, trading. Going to give it away? <laughs> at, you, they they were paying you to take it. Yeah. Pay okay. You they to were take paying it. you right. to take Remember it. That. Right. They literally was a negative value. And what happens then? They, they they take a bath and now they want to get some of that back and they've gotten a lot of that back. You know, and the sure. Republicans like to talk about, well, Biden canceled the XL, the, the Keystone XL pipeline. That's a big nonsense 
thing. First of all, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline means it's more likely that Canadian oil is going to be sold in America because the Keystone XL pipeline connected Canadian oil sands to the Gulf of Mexico where it could be shipped onto the international market. It does not change the supply. That oil is still available to Americans. It's just not available to the rest of the world. Second, we've got 9,000 untapped wells in the United States of America, fully permitted, ready to be drilled right now. Why haven't they been drilled? Because if you tap on 9,000 of those wells, you are going to increase supply faster than the demand can meet it, and you're going to really de- destroy the price of oil. And mm-hmm. that investment into those wells would be worthless. You're going to take a loss on it. It's why we don't see, you know, we talk about fracking in America. Oh, why won't they allow fracking in New York State? Well, if you permitted New York State, the entire state, to be fracked right now, it would be 50 years before any of those fracking mines made wells made a profit because there's so much natural gas coming out of the wells that are already fracked in Pennsylvania and Ohio that you don't need it in New York. So Republicans mm-hmm. rally around these fake talking points, and most people just believe it because it's a complicated market. It's a complicated you know, set of... of of things that interact with each other that that raise and, and lower the price and it's and 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 it's not really a true market because if it was a true capitalist market it would just be supply and demand and that's not what's happening. Well, I agree with you that most people don't understand the market. And look, we live in LA, so people here drive to their mailboxes to get the mail. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like cars are an absolute an absolute way of life. Um, but I do think that that. The idea of, of, of a metric that most consumers can feel that makes a real difference is what gives the whole gas thing its kind of political sure. weight in its currency. And you see it everywhere. Right. It, it's, it's like the best marketing right. or worst marketing. How you want it's to look at it? It's it, right? that most people don't even know the talking points. And the ones that do, I, I get it and they hear it. But at the end of the day, like I still have to go get gas later today. And I know right. it's going to be like seven bucks a gallon almost out here. Wow. You know? So like that has an impact. There's yeah. places, by the way, in West Hollywood where it's like eight, eight what was it? Like 830 or something we talked but, about you know, this this is the thing, was, Char- Charlie. Yeah. Like, how many times have we got to go through the same problem in America before we fix it? We have had this problem with oil four times in the last 40 yeah. years. Every 10 years, we have an oil crisis in America where the price goes up. We had the 70s embargo. We had the, the first Gulf War, the second Gulf War, now, now, and now what's going on right now. It, we are reliant on these dictators and tyrants around the world who can influence this market at the snap of a finger. And what the United States should be trying to do is get us off it. And by the way, I'm an all of the above guy. I'm one of the few liberals out there that says we need nuclear power in America because nuclear power is clean. If you regulate it appropriately and make sure you put proper safeguards in, it's not going to kill you. It, it is it is, it is, is the thing that can get us off them until we get you know enough wind and solar and other kind of generation we come up with that's clean. Uh, up and running, and it would power this country. And we could have electric cars, and we, and we could be, wet, you know, oil would be forty cents a gallon. So it's, it's, yeah. you know, we haven't, we haven't said to, you know, it's it, like Republicans last week were making fun of of Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris because they went out there and talked about how they were going to build the infrastructure for national charging stations for cars. And they're like, oh, in this oil crisis, that's what you want to talk about? It's just like when people get shot. Oh, let's not talk about the problem right now. Let's just send our thoughts and prayers on this issue. You know, this is, <laughs> right. a, this is a major problem. But, yeah. And yeah. it's been a problem. Yeah, it, right. it happens again and again and again and again and again. And nobody wants to do anything about it. And Republicans say, now's not the time to talk about it. Let's just figure out a way to drill more. But we don't need to drill more because we don't have a supply problem. And that's the problem. Yeah, in general... <laughs> Generally, I find myself, Chris, too, being in this kind of all all of the above category as well as a person who is more conservative minded. And that's I I wouldn't I I wouldn't identify myself principally as a conservative. Like that's not my sort of identity, but it is one that from a policy standpoint, I find myself in more of the conservative camp, generally speaking. But this, this kind of ties back because you're right. We've known this for a very long time. And I think the challenge now is that everything is so binary and it's driven by mm. this effect. I'm not going to let you off the hook about what I asked you earlier. If it's true that we'll never go back to 90%, is it be, like, are we just screwed? In other words, this binary continues. Some people are like, fracking isn't going to do anything in 50 years. Some people don't want to talk about alternative forms of energy. Some people want to talk about whatever it is. You know, let's, let's uh, you know, be all united against Ukraine. Some mm. people are like, yeah, but but China's a bigger problem than Russia. Let's not, you know. But we're we're talking kind of past each other in yeah. most cases. What can what can bring this kind of thing back where we can have a more reasoned dialogue with people? Because it's not happening now. I think we got to get 
um, out of our bubbles, right? And, you know, I, I'm a guy who goes on Fox, right? I'm a liberal who goes on Fox, and I think it's important. I've yep. always watched Fox. Even when I worked in Senator Schumer's office, I put it on for an hour a day. I want to hear what they're saying, uh, which is probably why I'm good on Fox. Um, but it, it's, it's a, it's, you know, we've got to get out of our bubbles and yeah. hear the other side. And we have to get back to that place where we recognize that we have more in common than we don't, you know, nobody puts me on Fox to, to agree with them. I'm not there to be the, the voice of agreement on Fox. I'm there to disagree, but I would tell you that most of the people I debate on Fox, even some of the more extreme ones, I have. 70% of the things we talk about, we agree with, agree with, you know? Yeah. But the American people now all, you know, I have a real problem with people who will not budge off their issues and they won't, most people right. won't budge off their issues and their stances on issues because they put something on Facebook and their 200 followers have seen it. And now what am I going to do? I told 200 <laughs> people, I believe this. I can't change my mind. Right, now, I'm meanwhile, still, I have 80,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. followers on social media and a million people listen to me on the radio every week on my syndicated show. And 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 you're going to... I change my mind all the time. All the yeah. time. I admit I'm wrong. I change my mind because I learn new facts. And, and, and when you learn new right. facts, you got to be able to say, oh, these are new facts. The problem is, is that one side, the conservative side, will make up their own facts. And it's not everybody on the conservative side. It's the right-wing media. They make up their own facts. And if the facts don't agree with them, Donald Trump told them, you could ignore the facts. You could call it fake news. That's a huge problem. Now, I don't know how that ends. I don't know how we get out of this fever that we're in. But that's what it's going to take to get us back to a place where you can have a president with 90% Mm -hmm. approval because we're all... We're all working towards a common goal of stopping tyranny abroad, which is why George Herbert Walker Bush was at 90% in 1991 during the first Gulf War. He was out there. Having, yeah, having that common enemy helps a lot. Yeah. yeah for sure, especially if they yeah. don't live here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's always like us versus them. I think the problem is that we haven't had a common enemy for a while, so the common right. enemy is is in here. It's, it's here. here. It's, it's here. We've had it too yeah, good. It's on the street. Yeah. We've had it too good. Yeah. We've had it too right. good. Had Things it too are good. great yeah. here. We have. Right. I mean, you know, I, I'm not one of those liberals who say everything's horrible. Things are great for the most part. They're a lot better than they used to be. I'm sure they could get better. Sure. And I'm sure, look, I'm a white, I'm a white boy from the suburbs who, you know, is, you know, it, it is what it is. But, and, and I, and I understand that people of color and others have had significant issues still, but it's better now, even for them than it was 40 years ago, it was 50 far. years yeah. ago, yeah. even yeah, 10 a, years ago. Yeah. Right. And it keeps getting better every day. And, you know, for the, for most of us and most of the people who have time, to sit around and tweet and talk about politics and who are not working the six jobs, um, they have it really good, no matter who they are. Yeah, for sure. And they are just figuring out, how do I get more likes? How do I get more you know, responses? And you know, I'm, I'm part of the problem. I know I am. I mean, I, I sometimes sit there and go, okay, what tweet am I going to send? You know, if I say something nice, nobody cares. If I say something yeah, hard-hitting and edgy, I, I, people love it. Yeah, but I think you're also <laughs> part do. of the solution, though, Chris. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do. And, and and yeah, sure, the metrics show it, the analytics. I mean, I'm sure you look at your podcast analytics and your other analytics and go like, oh, wow, the, the stuff that's sort of out there gets a little bit more more yeah. of that engagement. That's true. But I think we have to all resist that sort of temptation to dive headlong into that because we know what we know what it looks like at the very bottom of that, and it's pretty ugly. The, the, right. the other thing is I think, I think you're part of um, the solution because I would agree with you a thousand percent about the importance of dialogue, right? I think your podcast, right? I mean, you have conservatives come on your podcast – and and you're always open to that sort of additional perspective. Yep. I think we've lost that. I mean, even even this is my question before we get to courage or cringe because we've got to move on to our courage Definitely. or cringe segment. But but before we move on, you made the point that you're a liberal who goes on to Fox, and you may have your perspectives on how good Fox is as a place that's open to other perspectives. Maybe just the fact that you're on there is is testament to that. But how do you think the other end of the media spectrum is doing in the same way? How, when you look at MSNBC, CNN, etc. Do you think that they are, are better, equal, or lesser than in that sort of openness to other perspectives that kind of, you know, uh, go against maybe their their particular or personal ideology? Well, I don't think that CNN is bad at it. Um, I think CNN, you know, they, they've had people like Chris Christie as contributors. They've had people uh, like Rick Santorum, who I appalled. I was appalled with him when he was in the Senate. I mean, he was horrible. He did give one of the best political speeches I've ever seen, though, the night that he won really? Iowa. 
Um, and he should have given that speech at 11 o'clock. He might have been president of the United States had he given that speech at 11 o'clock. And, and this is coming oh, from wow. a guy who does not like him. Didn't like him then. Mm-hmm. Don't like him now. One of the best speeches I've ever seen in my life. And I'm a connoisseur of political speeches. Um, I'm going to go look that one up. And he I... gave it at 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay, this was the problem. I, I had to be on Fox at 6 a.m. to talk about the Iowa caucuses. I was staying at a hotel 100 feet from Fox. I stayed up to watch the speeches because I had to talk about the speeches at 6 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, at 6 a.m. in the morning, you know, maybe 5% of the country saw that speech. 5% of the voters in this country saw that speech. He gave that speech at 1030. He should have just claimed victory at 1030 because nobody thought he was going to win Iowa. And he was up at 1030 and they were waiting for the votes to come in. And he waited and waited and waited. And they finally called it for him at like 2 a.m. He came out and gave this speech about his grandfather. One of the best speeches wow. I've ever seen. And this is from a guy. Yeah, I see who, that. And I, at the time, hated his guts. And I was like, shit, yeah. that guy could be president. Uh, That's pretty good. Yeah. And so, I, can tell that now, I can tell that now you've warmed to him. I haven't. <laughs> it's the, no, I know. I know. I, I that was up, a joke, Chris. I wound up debating him on Fox a, a lot that year. And I just remember thinking to myself, ooh. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but, you know, but, God, I lost my train of thought. But, yeah, so I do think that the, you know, MSNBC can do a much better job. They they don't have any conservatives on it. And, and that might be because conservatives don't want to go on. Right? Mm-hmm. Um they, they might not want to have that fight. Uh, Fox is not as good as it used to be. Let's be clear. I mean, they're not doing, they're not having me on in prime time anymore. They're not having people yeah. like me on in prime time anymore. They're having Democrats who have a problem with the Democratic Party on in prime time. That's who they're right. having on. So there's, there's a little bit of, you know, there's, I'm still going on Fox, but I'm not going on in those big spots anymore. And, and I think that has more to do with their audience than what they would like to do there. And it is, it's, I think it's kind of a shame because I thought, you know, the conflict is what kept people watching. Sure. Well, I mean, the the conflict, but also, I mean, for me, maybe on a more philosophical level, it was just anybody who is confident of their arguments is not afraid of having an opposing perspective on. Like if you're really confident, then, then you're good. You should want to, you should be open to these things. And that's the way that I kind of view the world. So for me on, uh, you know, when I used to see you and then there was also, um, there was another segment on Tucker's show. I'm only using Tucker because I know yeah. you, you had such a long relationship with him, but, but the, you know, there was another segment that came on that was similar. And it was always to me, it's like even beyond the argumentation, it was the fact that this conversation is happening for me, drove credibility of that show. He would have a progressive format, right? on just every the night. Fact. It wasn't just me. Every he night. Have, he had five nights a week. Yeah. The first guest would almost, yeah. oh, first or second guest would almost always be a progressive to kind of, he kind of took that from Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly used to start his, his program off with his talking point memo. And then he would bring yep. in a guy like me and he would say, tell me why I'm wrong. And I thought That's that was right, a great right. way to start a show. And I would—I actually stole it and did it on radio for years. I would i would bring on a conservative and I would make a rant and I'd tell them, tell me why I'm wrong. Because it was a good it was a good segment. Tell me why I'm wrong. So, you yeah. know, but, but going back to answering your question, Charlie, it, it's, it's funny because you, you mentioned already, Chris. I think the, if I were to think of like what actually changes the dynamic of being in these kind of polar extremes of things, it's actually, I don't think it's actually the conversation with people that you disagree with, mm-hmm. but it's the openness to being, to actually changing your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the aperture. I think the, mm-hmm. the openness to changing your perspective, and, right. and that only happens when you have the conversation. But but you right. have, but there's plenty of conversations that you have people that you disagree with that you're there to win an argument. You're sure. there, it's or just it's a, a battle, right? Match it's or a yelling. Yeah. But right. I think having that openness to to change your mind, your perspective, I think that is what can give us a shot. That or aliens, right, Chris? So aliens. aliens. I think aliens is right. I think it's going to take, uh, I think it's going to take aliens. We're going to have to have an Independence Day moment, which is two. unfortunate because I do like the city. There you go. <laughs> so. Well, now that the government has told us that UFOs are, are actually out there and real, who knows? Maybe we'll uh, we'll actually get a chance to one, see One that. of my best but, friends um, is a comedian. He now lives in, in LA. He's done a lot of TV. Um, uh, he has a, a thing about aliens. He, he, he Lou Jimenez, great guy, funny, one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Does a very entertaining podcast uh, about aliens. I can't remember. It's the uh, unidentified celebrity podcast. I think it's called. <laughs> it's very, very interesting. I love it. Let's get him on. Love, let's love get him title. on. Let's yeah. get him on this show. If he's yeah. Latino in, in L.A., he's welcome here anytime. He is Latino and he's in L.A. <laughs> so beautiful. Oh, love that. Love we'll that. We'll have you make an intro. All right, Chris. Well, listen again. Just to kind of close this out, we're super happy that you've got the Aggressive Progressive podcast out there and all the work that you've done. Not just recently. I mean, for really decades and kind of you know being the voice, obviously with your perspective and your ideology, but but kind of being in those spaces and places 
where you know that that's not always welcome because I think we do ultimately need more of that. So, uh, so anyway, just you know, our little nod to the great work that you're doing because we're paying attention to it and trying I to appreciate do it. our I little do. version of it here. Thank cool. you. All right. Well, you ready to play Courage or Cringe, Chris? Yes, sir. Let's do it. So, uh, Courage or Cringe, real quick. We'll do the rules really quick. So, um, you know, I'll basically tee up uh, every topic, Chris, and then we'll go around the horn. You start always first as being our guest, as our tradition. Whether or not you think this is I, I courageous think, I think Chris or would cringe. Go, I think Chris would go first regardless, yeah, regardless. of what the yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sorry, guys. All right. So, no, no, that's good. No, it's all good. Uh, so, Courage or Cringe, Fort Lauderdale Police Chief Fired for Minority First Hiring Practices. So I feel like Florida, we, we kind of talk quite a bit about Florida. We have a couple there, of Florida. There's that meme too, Florida man. Have you seen this? It's yes. like Florida yeah, man yeah, is yeah, like, yeah. there's oh, always yeah. a Florida leading off the conversation. Yes. Love it. Well, so the city of, of Fort Lauderdale recently fired its police chief, uh, Larry Cerrotto, who had been in the office for less than a year, mm. right? Now, this was after he was accused of discriminatory practices for promotions. So he was sworn in in mid-August of last year. And by November, the city had already hired a law firm to investigate complaints of discriminations after four police officers filed Equal Employment Opportunity Commission complaints, right? So literally three months after getting hired, he already has uh, complaints against him and he's been investigated, right? Mm. So what was he actually accused of? One is that during his time as police chief, he implemented an approach to hiring and promotion that was unfairly focused on minority candidates. So as an example, in this report they put out, they said that he overlooked a white man with 20 years of tenure to a choice between two men of color and apparently even asked the question, which one is blacker <laughs> while making his decision, right? Nice. Something that, of course, he then, you know, refuted and said it never, yeah. it never actually happened. Right. Right? Mm. There was also an incident where he's accused of pointing to a conference room wall, displaying photos of the department's command staff and stating the wall is too wide and that he was there to, uh, to change that, mm. right? Now, according to him, right, in the three months leading to that investigation started, starting, he promoted 15 people. Right. And of those 15 people, six of them were either ethnic and or gender minorities, right? Which he claims were all selected based on merit. You know, so we're talking about maybe about 40% of the people that he promoted, right? right? Now, to this, he added, if promoting diversity is the hill I'm going to die on, I will sleep well tonight, right? And regarding the wall being too white, he did actually respond that the context of the comment was really to build around how do I convince the community that we're an inclusive and diverse organization if this wall is so white? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. According to the report, last thing here is that in total, all like 21 witnesses, including the chief, all gave a pretty consistent narrative to investigators about his hiring and promotion uh, practices. And they, they concluded that almost every uh, witness was dissatisfied with his approach to who was being promoted and that most believed that the chief had made clear his intentions to promote based on race, gender and sexual orientation. Um, one thing that I actually looked up and I thought was really interesting is uh, there is um, – uh, I, I looked at what was the, the ethnic breakdown for Fort Lauderdale, and what, both for the police and also for the population, right? So just the population versus police. So for white population, is about 47% for Fort Lauderdale. Then the police is about 67%. For Latino, 19 versus 17, so pretty pretty equal. For black, 32% of the population, but only 50% of the, of the police. How much of the police? 15? 15, 15. So about half. Yeah, 15. Right, so mm -hmm. 32, 15. Uh-huh. So, courage or cringe, new chief run out of town for trying to have a police department more reflective of the community, or no matter how you put it, when you hire promote solely on race, is still discrimination. Uh, I think Hunt. it's courage. And I think it's courage. Okay. I, I find it hard to believe that he was promoting or hiring solely on race, but uh, having been the chief deputy county executive of a major metropolitan county, Nassau County in New York, and, yeah, that's and right. seeing yeah. how hard it is to bring you know, diversity to police forces. Um, it's a very difficult task. And I don't think he should have, I, I mean, I don't know if he was fired solely for that or if there's some other regions, but just based on what I'm hearing right now, um, I don't like the, is is this person blacker comment? I don't, I, I find right, it hard right. to believe that he actually said that. Um, but I think it's courage. I think it takes a lot to, to try to diversify a police force. And I think more police forces across this country should be doing everything they can to have the population of the officers that are serving the community reflect the community they serve more uh, adequately. So, so Chris, just to be clear, then you're you're courageous on what the police chief did that led yeah. to his firing, not the fact that he got fired. C correct, right? Not the fact that he got fired. Not the fact that he got fired. So on the on the on his actions, right? 
Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So fair. So we agree, but I, but with the courage, but I looked at it in a different way, right? Okay. <laughs> so the, the way that I looked at it, because I'm looking at it in terms of the, the, you know, the headline is here, you know, is it courageous that this guy got fired? And, you know, Chris, you get the idea of the game is it's kind of the old Siskel and Ebert, right? Thumbs up, thumbs down. It's not right. really either, but it kind of forces the dialogue. Sure. So for me, and you could, you could actually tell me more about this, but I have to imagine that with all the levels of bureaucracy involved here, removing a police chief is probably not like a easy thing to do, right? There's probably complaints and some element of consensus or all of that. So the fact that this kind of rose to that level and the fact that you've got all of these 20-some-plus witnesses agreeing and giving a consistent report that they were all dissatisfied one way or another with the hiring practices of this of this police chief, even when a big chunk of those were diverse candidates and some of them were the actual ones that got hired as a result of this this chief's thing. I mean, it, it, it it's pretty, to me, it kind of rises to a level of maybe there was something up here in terms of how this guy was looking at, um, at diversity. I also, I, and look, I mean, based on the story anyway, the idea of this wall is so white or this guy, which one's blacker. If that's true, then... You know, I view that as as sort of uh, you know maybe one of the more the, the last acceptable forms of racism, which is, you know, and, and I'm Latino, but like looking at somebody irrespective of who they are and saying, okay, we, we that's bad or we need less of that. Oh, he and didn't I'm, say I'm it just was not bad. With, I'm not with that. He didn't well, say it was he said bad. It's too, he just said it was too white. That was true. It was too white. <laughs> it's a true statement. Yeah, I mean, I got a wall of white guys who are running right. a city that's 65 percent or what was it, 63 percent non-white. Right, Jesus, right. Jesus, mental That's note right. for Jesus. No more lawyers on the show. Jesus. No more lawyers. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, yeah, too good. To, to me, too good. that that is interesting, right? Because look, I, I would say the the Go thing about it. which one's who's blacker. Let's. Let's put that one to the side because I think in any yeah, context, that, that was that, said, that's, yeah, that's yeah. horrible. <laughs> now, is that actually true? I don't know, but that seems like even for a guy that maybe talks right. a little bit out of you know where, that may be a little on the extreme. But the comment to Chris's point, yeah, when I see the whole thing about being too white, well, maybe it is too white. I mean, you know, part of it is the community is there to protect and serve. Mm-hmm. It's hard to protect and serve when that when that police force does not reflect who the community is. Yeah. Now, to the degree that how vocal he was, obviously ruffled the feathers of a lot of people that was there. The part that I don't get is like, is that such a short window for him to get immediately investigated? Well, he had four get, get, simultaneous I mean, complaints filed against him. I well, who do you think was orchestrating that complaint? Like, well, that's my Tucker point. Carlson. <laughs> like, who is organizing the complaint, complaints against this but, guy? But that's. That's that's kind of why I, I see the complaints even, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical about the complaints as well, yep. right, in terms of who actually was submitting that. Look, the thing that you can look at, about not just hearsay, but actual stats is, well, did he really promote 15 people? And of those 15 people, were six of them diverse of, of ethnicity or gender? And if that's the case, that's not a majority. Doesn't even, mm-hmm. seem, like it's that's not, not even it doesn't 50%. even seem like it's enough to me, frankly. That's right. If you really <laughs> wanted to correct the issue of being being overly represented in terms of being white, then that you're not even doing that. You're not even keeping up with parity at this point. You're not even cutting into the number. So that stat to me kind of falls and flies in the in the face of of then the, the the issue that he's being accused of. Once again, and assuming those stats are pretty easy to actually then confirm, say, hey, well, who actually got promoted in this time period? So, right. and I didn't see anyone right. dispute that at least that claim. So hey, that's why I think I'm working with Chris on this one. We have to send Charlie some Rage Against the Machine records, and he could revisit the nineties. I was, and he'll understand I was actually, I was what actually, goes on I, there. <laughs> okay, I spent a lot of time in Fort Lauderdale too, Chris. By the way, it's sort of a blue dot in a red state, so it's uh, so did you know, I. I spent a lot of time in Fort Lauderdale myself. My 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 yeah. a lot of family down there in Hollywood, and right around Fort Lauderdale. My grandfather just died. He was ninety four. Uh, lived in uh, mm. Pembroke Pines, which is. I would go down to see oh, him, yeah. and I would do TV in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. that's funny. It's a great, it's a great town. It's been a lot of years there. All right, so it yeah, sounds like, it sounds like you're cringe on the story. Then, yeah, I'm, I'm cringe on him getting fired. Yeah. It, it feels like there's other issues that are going on here. Um, I, I think it's maybe a case of we had a person like maybe a little, little brash in an approach, maybe being a little frank, a little bit not PC in, in, in how, how much this was something that he was interested in looking trying to solve for because his. His words versus his actions seem like his words may have been harsher in terms or more at to the point of what he was right. trying to solve than what his actions because his actions to me he's not even keeping up with 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 trying to actually balance out more if that really was his big driver of hiring practices. Front of the slinky versus the back of the slinky, yeah, potentially. Right. All right, very good. That's topic number one. What's uh, up next, Jesus? Oh, we got some di- we got more Florida because why not? Let's, let's make it well, a we full- got Florida and California. Uh yeah, we do. So Pixar employees call out Disney for censoring same sex themes and animation. 
So, of course, speaking of Florida, for weeks now, the very controversial so-called Don't Say Gay bill has been working its way through the Florida state legislature and is ready for the governor DeSantis to sign, right? Now, can, for- can, I, can I just stop for a second? Chris, you, you, you need to tell us this. Do all, like, bills – is there, like, a moment where people either for or against – kind of brand them, right? Because this this bill is called something different, obviously, yeah, yeah. like in the actual legal documentation. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's called the Parental Rights and Education Bill. Right. But like, is there a moment in that process where you as a political you know operator sit and go, okay, this is what it's called. Here's what we're going to call it and launches like a marketing ep- effort or campaign in that, in that vein? Only if you can use it politically. And I got to tell you, Democrats have been horrible at this over the years. This is the first time I've seen it in a while where it's really good. You know, like right, Republicans right, right, yeah. are great at calling it, oh, it's the death tax. Meanwhile, it impacts right. like one-tenth of one percent of Americans. It's right, the death right. tax. We're going to take right. away your money when you die. No, if you're worth $20 million, you're gonna, your kids won't get all $20 million. They'll get 19 of it. Uh, but it call it a death tax, and everybody thinks it affects them. This is the don't say gay yeah. bill. Uh, and it's- Good branding. It's interesting because it yeah. it it's not misleading per se- but it doesn't really explain the entire bill, and but it is really taken off, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> so well, it's, we need it, to do more of it politically. It's, I love it. It's this nice is the kind of thing. It's like I said. We we could get the we could keep the Senate if the Democrats understand that when the Supreme Court rules in July or you know the end of June on Roe v. Wade that they have overturned Roe v. Wade, right? Mm-hmm. Even right. if there's a silver lining somewhere where you could still, you know, and it still goes to the states. Don't talk about what can can happen. Talk about what they did and what they did was overturn Roe right. v. Wade. And if Democrats aren't willing to do that, then they can't use it. But like this bill, let me tell you something. There are a lot of gays in Florida. I don't know if you've been to Miami or been to Key West. Mm-hmm. It's a there, sure. you know, and and they tend to be upper income and likely Republicans on a lot of things. So sure. you put this out there and you're reminding them who these Republicans are, and this is going to have a big impact. Ron DeSantis won by one-tenth of one percent, and he's governing like he won by 90% of the vote. Yeah, and for fundraising tenths, too, right? Tenths. So this story is really specific around, around fundraising. Yeah. Look, so for those of you not familiar with the bill, I think I, maybe most people are. But sorry, just really I, I hate that. I'm, I'm sorry it's, I'm hijacking okay. the show. No, not at all. <laughs> so, it's, no, no, it's great. It's great. Um, Please, you're welcome back so, anytime. According to supporters of the bill, right, they contend that parents, not educators, should discuss gender issues with children in early grades. And the bill basically bars instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through through uh, third grade, right? So that's what – and it's a little more complicated than that, but those are the, kind of the high level. So all of this – but there's been obviously tons of public outcry. And yeah. now Disney is in the middle of all this heat, right? So yep. first – With a new CEO. Yeah. Brand new CEO. Yeah. So – First, employees call out Disney for not doing more to oppose these efforts and even being a political donor to Republican politicians supporting this issue. I think it was reported around three hundred grand. I think is what they provided. I don't know if it's specifically to DeSantis' um, uh, political campaign or Republicans in general, but they gave him a lot of money in the state of Florida across both both mm-hmm. parties, right? Right. Now, in response to this pressure in a memo, Bob Chapek, right, the, the new CEO of Disney, stated that the biggest impact the company can make is in creating a more inclusive world uh, through the inspiring content they produce in a welcoming culture we create and the diverse community or, of organizations that they support, right? <laughs> so that response, immediately people like push back. And specifically, the LGBTQIA plus employees of Pixar basically called it BS, right? right. They're like, they allege that right. Disney uh, corporate executive, uh, executives demanded cuts, uh, cuts from nearly every moment of overly gay affection. And they said, and I quote, we at Pixar have personally witnessed beautiful stories full of diverse characters come back from Disney corporate uh, reviews shaved down to crumbs of what, 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 what they once were. And even if creating yep. LGBTQ, LGBTQIA content was the answer to fixing discriminatory legislation in the world, we are being barred from creating it, right? The, 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 the letter also demands that Disney withdraws financial support of all legislators support, don't, you know, don't say gay bill. And that takes decisive public stand against the legislation and mm-hmm. bills like elsewhere in the country, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now, of course, the CEO of Disney is kind of changing his tune a little yep. bit. And Rrr. first, you're like, yeah. <laughs> quick turn. Back up. He said that Disney was wrong to stay silent at the Republican majority Florida legislature, greenlit a bill that he called yet another challenge to basic human rights. He also is pledging right. $5 million to the human rights campaign and other LGBTQ rights organizations. And they've also said that they're going to suspend all political donations in the state, right? 
and asked for DeSantis response. By the way, he's pretty good in terms of his trolling. Like some of his comments. Yeah, he's good. Good, good marketer. I'm not too. a fan, but uh, but he cracks me up. He's like, Disney yeah. isn't far is isn't far too deep with the Communist Party of China and have <laughs> lost any more authority to tell you what to do. <laughs> Always throw in the Chinese. That's so, great. so Kurt, that's right. Let's, that's let's how take on, the Chinese let's take issue, on our right? biggest like, employer you go in the to state too. All, all your hits, right? Is all your hits, right? Yeah. Right. So courage or cringe? Disney trying to stay out of politics and doing what it does best, telling stories that inspire, or Disney supporting LGBTQ plus people as long as they don't have to talk about it publicly or show it in their content. So here, the courage or cringe, Chris, to be clear, is on Pixar calling out Disney, right? Yeah, yeah. So well, it's really on Disney itself, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. on yeah. Disney. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think yeah. cringe. I think Disney needs to do more. They have a, a, you know, their employees want to see it. Quite frankly, uh, most employees of most major corporations around this country uh, want to see inclusiveness as part of the culture of their companies, particularly millennials and Gen Zs that are coming into the workforce. Mm -hmm. So Disney, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Disney particularly should be doing more to stand up. And now they have taken their financial support away from Republicans who have supported this right. measure in recent days. So I applaud them for that, but I think they can do more. I also think that, yeah, I think that these pictures should, uh, you know, include gay characters that are actually out, um, you know, gay characters and not just, you know, gay stereotypes, which you sometimes see in some of these Disney movies, particularly the older ones. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, I, I, I'm also cringe on Disney and so consequently courageous on Pixar, even though it may, it may surprise Jesus. You should see Jesus' face right now, Chris. Oh, you can. Oh, you can see it. You can see it. Um, but I think there's actually two things here. I think one is the backdrop of the bill, right, in which I'm not an expert in. But I actually do believe that parents should be the ones involved to the extent that it even happens in teaching – sexuality, relationships, procreation, et cetera, to very young children, right? From, from my personal standpoint, I wasn't talking to sexual topics with my kids until they got pretty close to puberty, right? And certainly not kindergarten or any, any grades along those lines. So, there, so there's that, right? There's the kind of bill part of it. And there may be other things in the bill, which, you know, when I, if I get more educated on it, I would probably disagree with. And then there's uh, the second thing, which is Pixar – Actually, their case against this sort of gay affirming characters and moments of affection and all that stuff. And I don't want to make the case that all animation, just because it's animation, is for very young kids. Like, we know that that's not the case anymore. Right. In fact, it's been Disney, Chris, where I worked for years. It's been Disney that actually created animation as a kind of four-quadrant thing, right? Where it works for young, old, and everybody in between. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they've built huge worlds out of this. So, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that. But I think that... Um, that the reason I'm courage on them being able to do th them doing this, Pixar, you know, uh, uh, basically going out. after calling them out, uh, calling out Disney, is because I believe that they should be able to assert their displeasure with their boss and look for changes and hold them accountable. And by the way, I'd believe the same thing if it were pro life employees petitioning their their the positions of their CEO and you know, rattling a saber for whatever they thought could be done in in that regard. So that's the reason why. Uh, I'm courageous on what Pixar is doing with Disney and then consequently cringe on what Disney's doing. So we agree there on that. There you go. Right. Can, I, can, we, can we go back on the, just, the, I know we're not getting too much into the bill, but I think the part that I don't follow about some of these positions, and maybe Chris, you know it better in terms of the details of the bill itself. But I think the, the issue that a lot of people have is not so much the instruction on sexual orientation for a first grader, because I'm, frankly, I don't know what kind of sexual instruction you should be doing for a first <laughs> right. grader anyway. Whether straight, gay, or whatever. I didn't get that film strip in I was between. in fifth grade. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, that's okay. Yeah. But like for but me, it, it was eighth grade. But, maybe. but it's the recognition yeah. that there are gay people. And it's like, the, that's why I think the branding of Don't Say Gay is actually really strong very position strong. for, for it liberals is a to take. Very strong. Because there is, there is some yeah. truth in this, right, Chris? I mean, the idea yep. that you can even recognize the fact that this is an actual orientation that people have, an identity people have. And look, I'll make it really personal. For me, the first time we talked about it with my daughter, she was really young. I, I don't, f I forget how old she was. She was maybe like five or six. And there was a kid with two moms. And she asked yeah. me, like, oh, like, I think, I think she has two moms. I'm like, yeah, that's right. She's like, oh, but I thought suppose your mom and a dad. I'm like, well, sometimes there is like two moms. I'm like, but look, they have, you know, two parents that love the kid and they love the kid a lot. And that's great, right? Right. Well, she's what like, was worse, Jesus, yeah. she said, and she's it, so lucky. And it was she's like, got two moms. And Jesus is like, what? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was, it was like, <laughs> but it was a total 20 second conversation. It yep. didn't rock her world that no. we now had 
a mom and a dad. We didn't talk about sexual. We're just like, who does what? Who's on top? Who's, the, uh, the who's on top? Who's the bottom? Like, right. The bottom. Right, exactly. We didn't get to any of that, Chris. The, the motivation you know? of the bill is, you know, and, and clearly been pared down from its original intent. But the motivation of the bill is there is a certain movement in this country that think that the schools are teaching kids about sexuality. When we, meanwhile, people are out. People are open. People talk about it now. You're gonna you're gonna show up to this. You know, it, you, when I was going to school, if somebody had two moms, you wouldn't see two moms at the school. You'd see one mom at the school. Right. Now the two moms come to the school because people are afraid to do that, and they're not afraid to do that anymore. So kids are gonna naturally have questions about it. And some religious right nut in Florida who wants to impose their religion on me and on the other people of Florida. I don't live in Florida, but on other people of Florida, they. They feel that they need to put, impose that religion and, and put people back in the closet where they belong. And that is the problem. That is the problem with that bill, and that's why that bill is bad. And that's why I'm telling you something. It's a miscalculation by Ron DeSantis. It's not necessarily a miscalculation by the, the legislature. They've gerrymandered the hell out of that state. But right. Ron DeSantis runs statewide, and he barely won against, I think, a pretty weak candidate. He's got a much, he's going to, you know, I think Charlie Chris is a pretty good candidate or whoever they come out, whoever comes out of that primary is going to be a little bit better. And I think uh, he should be careful because this is the kind of thing that drags you down. You don't have to drag, he doesn't have to lose 20% of the vote. He's going to lose one or 2% of the vote and he's gone. Get gays motivated and they show up and vote. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because my take on, and I know Charlie is probably tired of hearing me, me say this, but my take on the Santa is like every movie makes seems to be part of a presidential campaign. Like these are yeah. all sound bites. To, but this is actually interesting. I, I saw it much more like in that same kind of push. But you actually think that this could even hurt him at a, at a national stage? Well, if he doesn't get reelected in Florida, he's going to have a real yeah, tough case matter, to, make, right? to yeah. run for president. Don't you think? Yeah, that's, I mean, a, that's it, a good it's, point. Yeah, You got to win. You know, Florida is not a red state. It is a purple mm-hmm. state. He mm-hmm. won... And he look, he ran a good campaign. He had, you know, there was a little. Let's let's call it what it is. There was some racism involved in the electorate, whether it was overt or subliminal. Uh, but it was there for sure. Contributed to to his victory. Um, you know, he's got eighty million dollars in the bank. I get it. That's a lot of money. But you know, you show me one poll where Ron DeSantis is within five points of whoever the Democrat is. That person's going to have eighty million dollars. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, he's going to have a, a and, and it's a good year for Republicans. It's going to be a good year for Republicans, but Florida is a weird state and there are it a is. lot of different constituents yeah. in Florida and, you know, discrimination is, you know, Florida is a, is not a majority white state anymore. If it, you know, there are a lot of constituencies there that could turn on him on a dime and I think he's 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 governing like he's the governor of you know Mississippi, where you can't mm. lose, and that's just not yeah. the case. He can lose even this year. He's definitely operating in a super confident way, like with a major <laughs> mandate. There's no question about yeah. it, which I think is what gives credence to Asus's point about mm. there's a bigger play here that he's making, and it's not just his narrow victory. Oh in Florida, yeah, he's not but, playing for uh, he's not playing for votes in Miami. He's playing for votes in Iowa and New for Hampshire. Sure. Right, right, right. Chris, do we have time with you for one more? One more. I know we're at the top of our time. Yeah. All right, All right, we'll go real quick. quick All right. So Kremlin opens criminal case on Meta uh, for hate speech, right? So Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, said it was implementing a change on its content policy only in Ukraine to let them voice their opposition to Russian attacks. Mm. Right. So as an example, they would allow posts such as death to the Russian invaders, mm. something which previously would have been flagged uh, as inciting uh, violence, violence, right? Mm-hmm. No, so to this, Russia opened a criminal case with prosecutors asked the court to designate basically Meta as an extremist organization. Also, the communications regulator said that it will restrict access to Meta's Instagram starting on March 14, which now, now it actually did. According to their investigative committee, they said a criminal case has been initiated in connection with it, with illegal calls for murder and violence against citizens of Russian Federation by employees of the American company Meta. Right now, this committee reports directly to Putin. Right, so the question immediately comes up: How much of this is really about the content policy, or more just more efforts by Russia to censor or control information to its citizens? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, in terms mm-hmm. of justification by Meta to this change in policy, the company said it aimed to protect rights to speech as an expression of self-defense. 
reacting to the invasion of Ukraine and that the policy only applied to Ukraine, right? Mm. Uh, they did clarify, though, that it did not, would not allow calls for violence against Russian civilians, although it was reported that Meta had temporarily allowed posts that call for the death of Putin uh, and Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko, right? So, I, so I can say for the record then, according to that, I could say – I couldn't say – Kill the Russians, I could say kill the Russian invaders. Correct. Got right. it. That's what okay. we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and as for Russia, right, their communication regulator officially banned Instagram on Friday and gave Russian users a 48 hour grace period to say goodbye to uh, to all of his followers. Wow. <laughs> it's a funny yeah. a whole story about influencers saying goodbye hours. to their followers. Say goodbye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as for Facebook, Russian authorities had already blocked access to it on March 4th, citing discrimination against Russian state media on the platform. And then since Russia began its attack on Ukraine on February 24th, Putin had pulled the plug on Russia's opposition-oriented radio and television networks, which is part of their broader effort to squelch you know, domestic dissent in response to the war. Right. So courage right. or cringe, Facebook defending the rights of Ukrainians to express their outrage at Russian forces, or hate speech and violent speech only applies when you disagree with the message. Chris. Wow, you know, you guys really know how to treat somebody, make them choose between Putin and <laughs> Meta <laughs> and Meta. Oh yeah, that's Fantastic the fun of the show. Choice you <laughs> I gotta go with Meta on this one, right? I'm gonna call it courage. It's a little cringy. Maybe policies, you know, you shouldn't be calling it that. But when people are getting bombed, I think it's okay. You know, when you're in war, you know, to 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 quote Malcolm X, when somebody's trying to kill you, any means necessary, right? And the people in Ukraine yeah. are under attack. And the least they can do is say death to the invaders. So courage for Facebook and Meta. Cringe for Putin always because he's cringeworthy. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> this is between, right, picking between Russia and Facebook. Yeah, right? great job. What, what a choice. Very welcome. <laughs> yeah. Sure, this like, is in uh, Fox I mean, News. <laughs> Kennedy I'm asked me, should we call in actually... Hunter Biden to talk about Ukraine? I'm like, oh yeah, my yeah, God. Hunter Biden's fault. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think this was actually a Reuters piece, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, yeah, as a, it was. This is uh, pretty down the middle. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way about you. Anybody who's listened to this show knows that I'm not a fan at all of Meta, nor am I of Putin or any dictatorship in in the world. Here, I actually came down on courage, meaning that. Given the circumstances, here's how I net it out in terms of my thought process, Chris. So first of all is the principle that I don't think anyone should be encouraging the death of anybody. And that may seem very idealistic, but it's a, it's a principle that I hold you know, very dear. I think it's corrosive to the world to wish death on anybody. Then there's the fact that it's an American company that's doing it and the fact that they changed their status quo, their policy to allow for it. But the thing that really kind of put me over the edge, because I was sort of okay even up until that point, was the kind of inconsistency here. Because there are wars elsewhere, okay? There are, you know, I just really quick sort of Google search, right, for me to get more equipped with it. There's a war right now in East Africa, you know, with Ethiopia, Eritrea, and Sudan. They've been fighting since 2020 for the last couple of years. Nearly 100,000 people have been killed. Hmm. In Yemen, the Saudis and the UAE have been fighting for the last decade. There's been yep. more than 300,000 people killed. And if I'm a Yemeni or if I'm in Ethiopia, I can't say kill the invaders right now on, on Meta. So there's an inconsistency there. And when I add all of those three things into the bucket, maybe they have, they have to update their policy, allow those other people to say the same about their invaders or people who they think are their invaders. Or go or revert back to their original policy, even in this particular case. So ultimately, that's why I well, came down on courage. I agree with you on that point. They should update their policy uh, mm -hmm. for those other invaders. And I have a feeling there's a financial reason why they haven't, which is why I don't like Meta but, either. But, but try your position is courage on Russia. Is that what you're saying? Basically, on, oh, on, okay. on Meta, yeah, yeah. Be, so on so meta being called you're, out. You're cringe yeah. on, on oh, Meta. I got it. Courage yeah, yeah, yeah. on so, Meta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. No. yeah, no, I was like, wait, so wait, 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 I also can see the orientation of, of saying on some of these things that we'll be spending all this time censoring content and trying to take down posts, I would orient or actually having the content come to life to show what's actually happening. Because on the Russian side, you have a clear effort across the nation of trying to censor information, mm. right? So I think as a responsibility for, for Facebook as a, as a, or Meta as a company is to how do we make sure that content gets more exposure or it doesn't get taken down for all these other rules that kind of happen 
So in this case, the orientation in my mind then puts it back into I'd rather let more content breathe, especially in the context that this is, a once again, a fight that was brought to them. Then going the other way and say, we're going to censor this, that right now, frankly, feel a little bit trivial to be taking down posts if you're actually showing real impact like what's been happening recently with apartments getting bomb, you know, bombarded with this really sad scene of this pregnant woman that just died a couple of days ago yeah, because the that. hospital was. Yep. And if in that post someone puts death to the to the Russian invaders, like you're going to take that post down because it says death to Russian invaders? Probably not. You should, you should let right. that post in. So right. I, I think we should orient on actually letting that information flow. Now, so to your point, maybe you should then apply more broadly yeah. to the places, but it doesn't negate that, it, that that's still, in my mind – Makes sense to do in the case of Ukraine. So you're cringe then on Meta being sued or Correct. whatever. Yeah, investigated. I'm, I'm cringe. Um, I am uh, anti-Russia. I am not like Tucker, once, Chris's friend. Once right. again, Chris, on this show, I get I get to be a double minority. So I'm go. I'm the minority with our guests, and I'm a minority always. But uh, but that's that's okay, Chris. Um, tell folks. I mean, people know you, and they know what you know, what you're up to. We're going to include in the show notes about the aggressive Great. progressive and all the different things that you're involved in, but anything big coming up next that you want folks to know about? I mean, the aggressive progressive comes out every Tuesday. Um, whether I want to do it or not last night, I was, I didn't have a guest because I, I didn't do a radio show last week. Uh, so I, I usually pull my guest out of my nationally syndicated radio show and I put it in the pod. Um, but, uh, always have good guests on the show for the most part, always have something to say, love it. I uh, love doing it. love the intimacy of the format. Uh, it's fantastic. So please check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. I do a radio show on my own on Thursday nights that's syndicated around the country. And then I do a show on Sunday afternoon with Curtis Sliwa in New York that's syndicated. Uh, it's about to nice. be syndicated all over the country. Right now it's in about five or six markets other than New York City, which is a pretty big market in and of oh, itself. So. Awesome. Well, we'll include that information in the show notes. Chris, thanks for being on the show, man. Really happy that you're out there having the conversations that you're having. You're welcome back anytime on TDR. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad we did it. Awesome. And if you're listening to our voices, please remember to subscribe to the show. Share this episode with a friend, somebody who can benefit from this conversation. And we'll see you again next time on the Diversity Remix. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.